This is Between Sundays from Commons Church, a conversational podcast about finding the sacred in the everyday. I'm your host, Bobby Sockold. Welcome to the fourth episode in the third season of Between Sundays. Season three is called Why Does It Matter? And it's all about meaning making. In his book, Pale Blue Dot, the late astronomer and cosmologist Carl Sagan wrote, the significance of our lives and our fragile planet is determined by our own wisdom and courage. We are the custodians of life's meaning. What a cool metaphor for meaning. Custodians represent care, someone in service of a place, the tending to the everyday materials of life. Today, you'll hear a conversation between me and Paul Stewardson all about why science matters. And sure, sure, you know that science matters, but can we get more meaning out of our relationship with science? Well, Paul thinks that we can. One of my favorite parts of this conversation is how Paul breaks down the moment we're in, how science has been brought to the fore in all its glory and its faults. But he reassures us that we shouldn't be afraid of science that changes. Now, there's a moment in the conversation where we'll cut to a chat I had with Paul when I visited his science lab. That's right, a little field trip for Bobby. We chat in that place where Paul works about how different disciplines can work together and go so much further in discovery through cooperation. This kind of collaboration is a great way to think about finding the sacred in the everyday. You working with others to find the best way forward in your family, at work, in the city, on our pale blue dot of a planet. We make Between Sundays on the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. It is a privilege to make a podcast on this land. So let's get into it. Welcome to Between Sundays. Welcome to the conversation we've called, Why Does It Matter? Today, we're chatting with Paul Stewardson, one of our creative team production volunteers. I realized that was kind of a mouthful, like figuring out what order to creative team production volunteer here at Commons. True. And the topic is science. <laughs> and recently, some friends were sort of making fun of that topic. Like, what are you going to talk about? Do you do science? What kind of science do you do? Yes, in fact, that is what we're talking about. <laughs> So I thought we could do a bit of a rapid fire round of questions by way of introduction for sure, you, Paul. Sure. So are you ready? Yes. And thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me, Bob. Yeah, of course. Let's, let's get it going. Let's get it going. Where did you grow up? Ah, that's a little complicated. I, I, I knew I, it. That's <laughs> why I wanted to go there. <laughs> yeah, starting off with the hard questions. <laughs> um, I was born in British Columbia. So in, in Chilliwack, actually, a small town, a little ways, a couple hours outside Vancouver. 
Um, and then before I was even old enough to remember, moved to Vancouver Island. Then again, I barely remember that. And then my family moved when I was about three years old to Idaho State in in uh, the U.S. Okay. And then after a few years, we moved to Washington State. Lived there for seven years, um, right near the border to Canada in a little town called Linden. Um, 10,000 people there. And uh, yeah, that was the longest I've ever lived in one town was seven years. And then moved back across the border for high school to Abbotsford. Okay. And then I did uh, my undergraduate degree at the University of Victoria in naturally Victoria. Mm -hmm. And then I came here uh, to Calgary for graduate school. How long ago did you come to Calgary? Four years ago. And you just bought a house. I bought a house this year. So Paul's sticking around, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I I locked in with a five-year mortgage, so I'm at least in Calgary for five years. That's so (laughs) good. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, One of those pandemic home buyers. Yes, very much so. Yes, it's true. Was there anything about this moment that made you make that move, or was it just the right time for you? Oh, there were there were a lot of things that came together. Um, one one of them for sure was that I had been um, a full time student for the last twenty some years. <laughs> Still am, to be clear. Um, I've got a couple of years to go with my uh, schooling, but I just got a job for the first time. So um, now I, you know, have the the school and the work. And I absolutely love the job, so I'm hoping that I'll, you know, keep working at it once I graduate. Mm. And so it gave me a little bit of a longer time horizon in Calgary than I had had previously just with the schooling, which was, you know, sort of had a very clear end point. Right. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. Uh, how many people are in your family? I have um, two siblings, and they're both married, and they both have four kids. Oh, wow. So <laughs> Uncle Paul. Yes, eight <laughs> nephews and nieces, <laughs> and two siblings and two siblings-in-law. Okay. Yes. And where are they? Uh, my sister and her family are just outside Seattle. My mom lives right near my sister, oh, and my brother and his family live in North Carolina, but they're actually going to move to Papua New Guinea this coming what? year to uh, go to a Nazarene church hospital in Papua New Guinea where my sister-in-law will be an emergency medicine physician. Wow. So, yeah, which is going to be quite so a shift for them. Interesting. Yes. With yes. all those kids. With four children <laughs> in tow. No, <laughs> they're, they're uh, brave souls. They are. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, when did you start coming to Commons? Uh, four years ago when I moved to Calgary. You know oh. what? The first Sunday I was in Calgary, I came to Commons. Oh. Uh, I found it online and came and, you know, um, whether I'm stuck in a rut or (laughs) consistent. But you made a great choice. (laughs) Here I am four years later. Okay. Who is your favorite commons pastor? Oh, wow. Just kidding. I was going to be like, we know it's Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to get me in trouble here, Bobby. (laughs) Okay. I, I don't know what I was where my head was at with these questions but this one is also a doozy oh great (laughs) what is one thing that feels wrong in the world right now (laughs) just like don't overthink it okay okay yeah all these leading questions (laughs) just trying to trap me (laughs) no just opening it up one thing wrong in the world um I think um I, I think probably the biggest thing is that we have so many um really really incredibly basic problems that we have the answers to and we um aren't getting around to them like clean water you know something like this where where it's it's 
you know, it's not like we don't have the technology, we can do this. you know, it's, yeah. it's right in front of us. And somehow we're caught up in, in all the, the minutia of a thousand other little problems. And, you know, there's people literally dying yeah. every day just because of these, you know, what you might consider already solved problems, but oh. not solved everywhere. I think that's one thing that's wrong with the world. <laughs> really, That's a really great and interesting answer. So what is one thing that you'd say that is really right in the world right now? Well, I think, um, I think especially living in the 21st century, we have sort of a, an incredible um, amount of ability to make the most of the world in the sense that at no other time in history has there been so much productivity amongst humankind and so because we have all this excess productivity we really have the opportunity to solve a lot of problems and we mm -hmm. are solving a lot of problems and you know i mean in the last 50 years billions of people have been lifted out of poverty mm -hmm. right so so i think that the just because we've been so um essentially you know successful if, if you want to use that word mm -hmm. of course there's a million meanings but um, at, you know, as global society to really bring people out of a situation where, you know, they didn't have the chance to focus on the greater things in life because they were trying to find their next meal mm -hmm. or, you know, like something like clean water, right? If you don't have access to that, it's really hard to create beautiful art and do, the, do these right. things that maybe are more meaningful. And, and so I think that being in 2021 and having higher productivity than ever in history is something that's really um, potent to, to hey. me as, as something that I really am inspired by. It's so fun is that you're kind of answering these questions with this economic uh, hat on <laughs> and true. we're ta having that's a science true. conversation, but this is a cool thing about you is you bring <laughs> two fields together, which we're going to get to. But back to science, Paul, yes. who is your favorite scientist? Uh, living or... Ah, whatever you want to do with that. Okay, okay. I, I mean, I, I think I would have to go with, um, in terms of like right now, okay. my favorite son, probably Francis Collins. Okay, who is um, that? He led the Human Genome Project, which, um, which you know, sequenced the, the first human genome, um, an absolutely incredible project, which involved thousands and thousands of scientists working together in this group effort absolutely inspirational um he's a christian man he, he makes you know the most of his platform to kind of speak about how his faith and his science connect oh. um he also is the director of the nih which oh. is the national institute of health in the u.s which is the largest um by budget the largest uh, scientific research organization in the world Oh, gosh. So he has been at the forefront of a lot of the pandemic research. That I literally listened to him on a podcast, I think. Oh, no way. Yeah. I'd have to fact check that myself. <laughs> but when you said the name, I was like, that sort of sounds familiar. Totally. And when you said that he's been doing a bunch of uh, yes. work in the pandemic and that with the vaccine. Yes. And, and he, so he's the boss of the guy who gets a lot of screen time in the U.S., Fauci. Uh, Dr. Fauci. That's it? Yes. Um, <laughs> and another really cool thing about Dr. Collins is um, is uh, he founded a, a nonprofit organization called BioLogos, 
Okay. And it literally is just an entire organization dedicated to, you know, creating dialogue and space for scientists with faith right. or people who are wondering about science and faith and the inter and the interconnection and the overlap and Ooh. and this sort of thing and, and sort of creating, you know, collaborative spirit and alliances amongst that those oh. two groups, which are sometimes seen as oppositional, right? right? Science and faith. Yeah. So I, I think um, I'd have to go with Francis Collins for all that. of those reasons. All of them. Yeah. That's so fun. I'm going to wrap up our rapid fire introduction. Okay, okay. <laughs> but you really uh, crushed that. That's really great. <laughs> Thank you. So, Paul, you are a scientist. Yes. What kind of scientist are you? Yeah, great question. There's a lot of um, ways to break that, that down. Um, my undergraduate work was in microbiology and so biochemistry. Let's, like keep breaking things down. Yes. <laughs> like, so when you say microbiology, yes. what what should our brains? Uh, think do? of viruses. Think of bacteria. Think of archaea. Um, basically, single cell, tiny organisms. Okay. That's that, that's the purview of microbiology. Okay. Yeah. So you started with that. Started there. Yep. And uh, then I I sort of took an angle for grad school towards. Um, medical science okay and, and my, what was that moment like for you deciding to veer in that direction yeah you know um it largely was just the the sort of pragmatism of i found a lab that i was really excited to be a part oh, of so that happened to be in medical science huh. you know and so I, I sort of aimed in that direction um, to be fair you know a lot of the work that i'm doing is is still quite heavy on biochemistry and, okay. and a lot of the similar things to what I worked on in my undergrad. So it's, it's not a, a huge pivot, but okay. yeah, I, I guess it is somewhat of a pivot. And then my specialization in my research is now um, working on cancer biology. Okay. So, you know, where I have the most knowledge is specifically thyroid cancer. Okay. Um, but yeah, in terms of what kind of scientist, I, I think probably the best overarching you know, phrasing of it would be cellular slash molecular biology. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of genomics work, a lot of uh, molecular work, okay. this sort of thing. I'm always so curious about how people specialize in such particular things. Like, is it one thing led to another, led to another, and before you knew it, your research is in cancer research for, how did you say it? Thyroid? Thyroid cancer. Thyroid That's exactly cancer. right. Yeah like <laughs> what yeah you know it's it's one of those um one of those things i think this everyone probably can relate a little bit to this where it's you see an opportunity and you walk towards it right uh, or, or maybe even sprint towards it right <laughs> um and, and then that opportunity gives you certain skills and certain connections mm -hmm. and you use one or the other of those to then get to the next opportunity yeah. and you end up sort of your path narrows over time right, right? i, I mean you know how grad true. school does that as yeah. well you end yeah. up with sort people of ask me all the time how do you get how do you become a pastor yeah. and it, it very much feels like well this led to this that to, led to this and yeah you can break it down one step are. at a time and, yeah, <laughs> right yeah. even that sometimes feels feels like an oversimplification. <laughs> uh, Life is nuanced. <laughs> it truly is. So I, I, back to this point we've brought up already is that you also studied economics. And yeah. it's really fun to think about things that seem like they're not so related, joining together as something deeply related in mm -hmm. a person's life or in their interest. So can you talk more about how those worlds come together and why they feel sort of essential for you to hold on to almost, you know, in a right hand and a left hand together? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, 
You know, I've always been a little bit obsessed with economics and, and sort of the capital markets and finance, mm. macroeconomics. Like, does it start with like getting an allowance as a kid? Like, you know, yeah, yeah, no, it... quite literally. It yeah. started when I was, I think, four or five years old. Wow. I first learned that there's people in the world who are dying because they don't have access to basic resources. Oh, you're a little, and... f- little five-year-old Paul. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Mom, people are dying. It's Take true. my quarters. <laughs> and so oh. the immediate reaction, I think, you know, yeah. of every human being is, wait, can we fix this? Oh. Right. And, and so I learned, oh, wait, so somehow, you know, at the time I didn't have a very sophisticated economic model in mind, but <laughs> I learned, oh, money can mediate. Oh, you know, um, solutions to these problems that people are facing. At the time, my life was great. So, you know, I sort of was focused on that, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where can, you know, we improve things and a little bit of a, a problem solver at heart. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so uh, literally, you know, ever since then, I've always been kind of obsessed with like, okay, you know, capital accumulation is is something that would be valuable eventually one way or another. Hmm. And then I stumbled on on the stock market in middle school and <laughs> and just it was like like middle schoolers as you do, do. as you do you know how it is know. <laughs> um, you know and it, it was it was so much more interesting than sports or whatever Ooh, okay <laughs> and so I just yeah no I've I've never um, never looked back it's always been sort of a game for me of trying oh. to understand economics is very complex yes and, and so there's so many moving pieces that you never can understand everything. But you can basically do what you do as a scientist, create hypotheses and, and you know, testable predictions, right? Huh. And, and see how they turn out and then look at what variables you were missing. And, and so cool. in a lot of ways, there is a lot of overlap. Um, and then in high school, I, I kind of was trying to figure out what to do with my life, you yeah. know, one of those mo- moments. And um, I, you know, I thought to myself, I, I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking I made rich people a little bit richer, you know, because huh. I was thinking, do I go into finance, economics? And, okay. And so I thought, well, what can I do that? I can I can be proud of kind of thing, yeah. um, you know, as a Christian, right? As somebody who's oriented towards you know benefiting other people, mm. and and I thought, well, I think I'll become an anesthesiologist, and <laughs> that was for whatever reason what I settled on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I started off, uh, you know, getting a, a degree in, in science because you know it's sort of a direct path to medical school, and and then uh, a few years in, I, I started to kind of think like ah. I don't think I'm cut out for medicine and maybe I should go in the direction of research. But really, I was kind of regretting not studying economics because it it was my passion. And and I love science, too. But economics has always just been really like an obsession for me. Mm. And and so I I tacked on an economics minor in the last (laughs) second. Oh, Uh, I love it. (laughs) It was so funny. I went to the advisor and was like, "Uh, I want to throw some economics into my degree. And she was like, "Okay, you can do a minor with only one extra semester. I was like, done. I was like, wait, what about a double major? <laughs> She's like, have you ever taken any courses? I'm like, no, but I've read about this so much. You have <laughs> you're no like, idea. You know who you're talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyways, I went with the minor because I would have had to add a whole bunch more time onto my degree for the double major. Okay. But... I love that for a moment though. You were like, that would be a good time. I was like, maybe I can pull this off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. And then I, I got to formalize a little bit of the, you know, enormous amount of reading that I'd done just on evenings and weekends type thing. Um, and yeah, I... I, I really see economics so similarly to how I see science, That's which is fun. you you collect your data, you look for trends, 
create testable predictions huh. and you run experiments and you see where you land and that gets you more data and you start the process over again <laughs> and there's no shortage of fun no to be had. No one's been happier. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I got cool. I, I got some strange looks when I told people, um, oh, I'm doing science and economics and like, mm-hmm. what what are you going to do with that? But now I can actually answer that question because my, my work involves, you know, both of those mm-hmm. components. So yeah. I, I've for a long time been interested in like keeping my feet in two worlds. I Mm. think because I grew up really rural, but loved urban spaces. Like there's something about that, that, you know, I worked in some more um, traditional settings, but really loved sort of progressive ways of viewing theology and like kind of keeping those tensions brought a lot of life for me, like Mm -hmm. a lot of exploration or some there's something really energetic about taking these two disciplines almost and like cramming them together yes and i it's mean the, it sounds more methodical the way you're describing it but there's a something energetic there no i totally agree. I, I think um combining disciplines is the antidote to myopia too right Woo-hoo! because you have <laughs> write um, that down everybody <laughs> <laughs> just walk around with those words just for put it on a t-shirt just see where they lead you <laughs> that's good that's beautiful i think i think so though because you know huh. you, you pull something from one field into the other and you yeah. pull something from the other field into the one yeah. and, and it, it really expands your imagination totally Ooh, both. expanded yeah. imagination that's great i have to feel like i'm, I'm borrowing a commons phrase when ah, i say that right. we do say imagination that a from lot the, here from the stage all you the time you have like a little tally of things that you hear <laughs> yes. a lot in your catchphrases <laughs> it's commons yeah ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um i love and some notes that we shared uh before sitting down to do this recording you talked about defining science and that in a cool way sort of made me pause and think i the last i really i listen to science podcasts and am re- deeply interested sure. as a curious person but mm. thinking about defining science felt important to me around some of the language that you use so can you walk us through some basic definition yeah sure i i I wish i had the message in front of me i probably (laughs) took more time let me remind you a little bit um because from a a body of knowledge to like process and method was your language and i was like i want to hear paul talk a little bit more about that definition yeah yeah so i think this is really important um science is ultimately a method at its most fundamental, science is a method, right? The like, scientific this feels method. really important. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> you think about science as facts. Yeah, or like in in the yeah, zeitgeist somehow yeah. it's like this is a science. Let me report us a scientific fact to you, right? Right, right? But how did we get to the thing we're calling the fact? Yes, Nothing. and how can one day maybe we disprove it, that it. fact? Right, and that's what we really I think we'll talk about this yeah. struggling with. So yeah. keep, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Not at all. Method, um, method, <laughs> method, method. <laughs> yeah, and and so when you think about a method, you think about a process, right? And and so you know granted out of the process of the scientific method of course you get various conclusions that can be widely relied upon and and you know be quite robust so what's an example of that um an example would be you know we we are well aware of the precise um uh acceleration applied to an object by the force of gravity mm-hmm. so this has um, been widely studied it's been consistently confirmed 
Um, maybe you can argue why that happens, right? But you can't argue that it happens okay. at this point. Or, you know, you can, but the data are, are you know, you, you have an enormous barrier to, to disprove that, you know, the, the model is wrong. So, for example, like Einstein was able to prove that gravity is not so, you know, stable as we used to think it was right. under Newton's laws. And, and so there is some evolution of it, but we get robust you know, um, robust data to show some of these consistent principles, and then we can work around those principles. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure if that's the best explanation. But but I think, you know, to, to the point of defining science, mm -hmm. what we have to sort of agree on as the scientific community is that first of all, there are, you know, absolute truths in the world. Mm -hmm. And so this is, you know, something that, um, it has an interesting interface with you know postmodernism mm -hmm. and and that sort of the rest of academia pushing sort of towards this you know post or you know all, all truth is relative mm -hmm. you sometimes hear people say something like that um you know in science we kind of look at that and and are like well you know we we have stable rules and mm. and uh consistent um trends and data and it is what it is what it is mm -hmm. you know if you've if you've published on it and every other publication has shown confirmation of that, then, you know, it is what it is. And, and I think that's sort of what you see with some of these things that, you know, are popularly discussed, like, you know, climate change, for example. And there's some people out there who will tell you that, oh, there, you know, the climate, the data on climate change are unclear or, um, you know, are not rigorous enough or are using faulty, um, data collection sources mm -hmm. there's all sorts of critiques of it and so the purpose of science as a discipline is to be able to use repeatable controllable experiments mm -hmm. to systematically push in the direction of the truth i love this yeah so that's the key and that's why it sometimes frustrates me when you know um I'll see in the media and, and of course I don't I don't blame people for this because like you said it really is in the zeitgeist um, yeah to think of it that way but but you see articles in the media based on some obscure study with a small sample size that showed some questionable fighting and and you know they're treating it like oh this is you know been uh, proven mm -hmm. by all scientists agree that there's you know um, some spurious claim is actually accurate and it's oh okay you yeah. know let's let's take a step back let's totally look at the quality of the evidence yeah. right this is important just because you're citing a study doesn't, doesn't mean you're right <laughs> <laughs> i did that a couple of weeks ago i was looking i was reading just piece of news from a reputable yeah. source and i thought oh, that's an interesting study and you know, sort of clicked my way through to realize they asked a hundred people. Mm. And I was like, I mean, maybe it's pointing in an important direction, but is yeah. that our best sample size to <laughs> make this sort of grandiose claim? And you're, you know, I'm like, I, and yeah, even from where I sat, I thought there's, I think we can do better. I think we can do better. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about this. Our, sort of our culture's relationship with science has is in a shift right now absolutely we yes. have this global pandemic that put us all in the same circumstances <laughs> around the world <laughs> we have these advances incredibly fast advances in the science of vaccines 
and you wrote to me about the ways, and this is quoting you, Paul, science has been brought to the public during the pandemic in all its glory and all its faults. And I was like, that language right there is really fascinating. This, uh, you've touched on this a bit, but our, the, the way that science evolves uh, towards a, a greater truth. Mm-hmm. And even you had said science is often wrong. Oh, yeah. But it is self-correcting and therefore trends toward the truth. So how do we <laughs> live in the world right now? <laughs> you know, it's so, you know, in some ways never has science been more popular. It's yeah. like the popular kid in the class right now. Yeah. But maybe like a popular kid, we don't understand you know, the nuances of a person or the complexities that sort of drove them to whatever their choices are. Like what, I mean, I, I'm not doing a great job forming that question, but your language of science really being brought to the central place in this moment in its glory and its faults. You know, I think it's been a long time coming. So Ooh, this, this wasn't this wasn't yeah. something that started last year. Right. Right. This has been the case for I think probably decades. Okay. And um, when you say this, what do Oh you, yeah, no, good point. We, good point. Yeah. So um, you know, in a sort of post enlightenment environment where we are trending towards this, you know, Western secular society in North America. That's not the case everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, this is sort of my bias as someone who's lived my yeah. whole life in North America. And such dominant cultures in the world, too. Extremely so, yes. Um, yeah, of course, we, we control a, a massive amount of the world's, you know, scientific output and, and so forth. Um, you know, and, and in this sort of... Um, post-enlightenment milieu i think what we've had is an increasing supremacy of science because it has brought so much innovation and prosperity Hmm. um because science works right (laughs) (laughs) this is one of the reasons i love it science works we we find things that are incredibly useful right uh, just unbelievably useful to the extent that you know things like uh, natural disasters which used to kill you know so many people um since a hundred years ago the deaths from natural disasters have declined more than 90 percent you know, and why is this a, a hundred different reasons mm. that have all come out of essentially, you know, technology that came out of scientific research, right? Huh. More or less, you know, of course, there's there's probably more to it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, somebody from a different discipline would be like, hey, <laughs> don't claim all the credit. There. <laughs> but, we did it. <laughs> Look but at I'll us. Just, I'll just uh, accrue it all to scientists. So. <laughs> no one's here to differ. Plant the flag, right? <laughs> um, you know, so, so I I think it's been incredibly successful and people have seen that broadly speaking um and so what we've seen is in a lot of ways i i honestly believe that um science has become uh almost worshipped in some ways yeah. in our society in the sense that i know people who will you know um quite honestly say you know completely genuinely that um they don't believe in god they believe in science as if these are somehow yeah we've all heard that you know oppositional right Right. and and if you choose one you reject the other right um and and so i think that partially because of this uh worship you know and I, i use that word carefully yeah uh this worship of science um 
you know, which we, we can touch on why that's a problem. But, but right. I, I think just because of that, we've seen it rise to some sort of ascendancy in, you know, the, the 21st century particularly. But mm. I think this was happening in the 20th century as well. I just, it, 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 pardon the theologian in the conversation, but yeah, no. it just makes me think about idolatry. Yes. The, the things that we elevate and yes. revere to such incredible status mm. will topple down on us somehow right you know? right like, absolutely it's, it's real and i don't say that as anybody who wants to throw any disdain or shade on no science, of course but yeah. that that human capacity to worship yeah. uh something that we can touch and see and feel and measure mm. seems really true to our most ancient selves yeah the god dagon falls yeah. and falls on someone exactly right? yeah 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 i think um i think that's very true in the sense that you know we always every every human being has that innate urge to worship something yeah and yeah. science we can control it right you know that that's obviously an appeal yeah, totally um, among other things it's in, in a way you know in some sort of sense you could say it's providing for us you right know, that's part, part of what people look for in a deity right. right so i mean you know you know much more about this than i do so it's kind of silly for me to be the one saying oh it, no but. no you're doing great <laughs> it makes me wonder about i'm just gonna throw this in there this uh, our relationship with mystery mm. like, do you think about that much in terms of your I mean, we're we're now starting to move towards Paul's ability to hold faith and science. Uh, <laughs> Giving me a challenge, I like it. <laughs> um, I do think about that yeah. definitely. Um, I, I think um, this is one of the gaps I've seen in the pro in Protestantism specifically, mm -hmm. and I love Protestantism. Don't misunderstand yeah. me. Um, you know, proudly call myself a Protestant, but but nonetheless, I, I think that um, in our you know, elevation of scripture, um, and correctly so, uh, <laughs> nonetheless, the drawback of this can be that we, you know, try too hard on systematic theology and, mm -hmm. and kind of forget about the mystery a little yeah. bit. And I've absolutely fallen for that trap mm -hmm. where I'm like, oh, I think I should be able to understand everything about God, right. you know, um, if not, I'm just not trying hard enough. Right. <laughs> and of course that's absurd. But then you um, have another idol. What's that? You, then you have another idol if you can contain exactly. In your own <laughs> yes. little mind, all that there is to know <laughs> exactly. about the divine. How Maybe foolish! Built that creature. <laughs> How very foolish. So, in this moment that we're in, I, I do want to. I feel like it would almost be neglectful to not address. You know, how do we live in the world with these phrases like follow the science and do your research? You know, how can people listening right now, you know, reconcile some of these tensions? You know, we have this mm. world of, you know, this, uh, the science is really important. It is, yeah. research is incredibly important, but it seems like those phrases in the culture are being tagged onto something mm -hmm. that is I'm going to say not helping us. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. how do we, what, what would you have to say? What, what is your mind? What do your emotions do when you, when you hear that language? <laughs> well, in I, this, you know, especially in this pandemic, as people yeah. are trying to figure out, you know, I, I think it's, it's so important to, you know, we touched on how science is 
always evolving right mm-hmm. and and so there's no um there's no one answer from science the science is not a body of knowledge it is a method and, right. and so you know the problem is especially when we're in this sort of crisis situation where we have so little data and, and you know when covid first came out the the data we were relying on was frankly terrible right mm. just because you know china didn't necessarily want to publish it all um even when they did have it you know the access to the to the raw data was very tenuous there were p- papers that were published and subsequently retracted um and, and this is what i mean by you know science with its faults um so yeah i i think um you know, when we're trying to look at science as um, something that can point us in the right direction, we have to we have to acknowledge all of the gaps and where okay, maybe it doesn't have all the answers for us yet. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. You know, some some values can never be determined by science, mm-hmm. right? And this this is you know. Um, something that is important you have to understand where the limits of science are so Mm. science can tell you a lot but it it can't tell you you know um, values it can only tell you how you know one thing will will affect another thing How, how, how does a change b um, but, but it can't tell you, you know, who should you fall in love with? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, or even kinda. is a worth doing, right. right? So now you know the outcome, but is that even the outcome right. that's it's worth it? It's not going to help with your doesn't ethical dilemma. Doesn't answer ethics. It, it doesn't do those things. So, so when we're talking about policy, mm-hmm. which obviously is a big question in a, in a situation like a pandemic, you, you can't just, <laughs> You really can't just simplify it to, oh, follow the science as if that somehow tells you what a policy should be. Uh, Um, And and so it frustrates me a little bit when I see often my fellow scientists coming out and saying this is the scientific policy that we should be implementing. So the adjective. Yeah, because it's not... um, it's not in the same it's not in the same phrase it should be this is what the science tells us this policy will do and Ah. then we have to decide is the policy worth it from a values values perspective so i'll borrow from economics terminology if (laughs) i may Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, the difference between something that's normative Mm -hmm. where it's it's sort of values driven and something that's positive um, not in the sense of positive as a good thing, but positive as just a straight up fact. Oh. So science can tell us all sorts of positive conclusions. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, using like very specific economic jargon here. Um, it can tell us all sorts of positive facts as in, you know, if we do this lockdown, you know, these are the six different outcomes that we're going to see um, with this amount of certainty bound, bound around okay. each of them, right? Um and then it does not tell us, you know, science is useless in the realm of these normative evaluations where you say, okay, uh, is this, you know, is, is the, this person's life more valuable than this person's life? Uh, should we subjugate freedom to prioritize security or vice versa? These sorts of very difficult ethical and policy trade-offs that need to be essentially value judgments. And, and of course, they could be informed by science in the sense of, okay, science can help us know what's going to happen if we go this direction or the other direction. Hmm. But I think we have to draw a line in the sand and say, science doesn't tell us, you know, who to be 
it just tells us what the outcomes of different actions are. And and we got to limit it there because right. you, you can't treat science as if it does everything when it's designed to do one very specific thing. It's like, thing. hey, guys, I'm just science. <laughs> hey, I can't. Just let me be science. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's so limited even on an a priori basis. It's not that it doesn't get there. It's that we... Yeah. we you know, have made certain assumptions to be able to conduct science. Mm-hmm. For example, we, we rule out any supernatural effects to be able to conduct science, right? This is, a, this is essential. Um, but it doesn't mean that there aren't supernatural mm-hmm. influences in the world. It means that we aren't looking at those within the purview of science. So, mm-hmm. so to treat it as if, you know, I know a lot of people who fall for this, um, to treat it as if, oh, uh, because we've ruled those out, that means that science has disproved any supernatural intervention right. is not the correct conclusion to draw. Huh. It's, it's poor analysis, actually. It's, it's weak analysis because you're, you're using your assumption as if it's been a conclusion hmm. and that's going in the wrong direction. Hmm. So. That makes me think a little bit about uh, thinking about like the dark side of science or where we've sort of uh the image that's coming to my mind is like (laughs) science in a off-road vehicle sort of careening (laughs) like in a direction that's that's problematic and how difficult it is to kind of bring it back like Mm. it makes me think of eugenics you know as this really problematic time undoubtedly uh, I mean, you could give more language to this, but it's that c- sort of careening moment of like, oh, <laughs> science is like off-roading in a direction that's like, ah, come back. To- yeah, yeah. Um, do you ever, yeah, I mean, it's easy to kind of have this conversation and think, look at all the good, look at all mm-hmm. the good. But but back to this sort of general direction towards the truth, yes. uh, the kind of gift that all of the fields of science can offer uh, offer us yeah well you know and, and eugenics is, is a great example i think because we've sort of seen it play out and come to an end and yes. so we can look at it and dissect yeah. it as a historical event right mm-hmm. eugenics again is this problem of pretending that science gives us policy suggestions there it is science does not give never... us policy suggestions this is incredible <laughs> this is really helpful <laughs> so huh. what we needed to think is okay you know what? And it's been shown and, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to be controversial. It has genuinely been shown that you can use, you know, genetics, genomics to show that some people will be more intelligent than other people, right? Mm-hmm. This is a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, that does not mean that we should treat those people differently mm-hmm. in any policy way. This does not mean that we should, you know, allow these people to be written off. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's, there's so many wrong conclusions that you can jump to from that. But again, th- these are outside of the science. Mm-hmm. And these are saying, oh, here's how I want to shape the world. And, you know, I'm going to apply this tool. Mm-hmm. Science is just a tool at the end of the day. Um, apply it to go in the wrong direction and right. you know people do that and, mm-hmm. and people still do that and it's always going to happen you right. know tools get used for good tools get used for bad Absolutely, that's the nature of tools there we go <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is it let's talk a little bit more about uh, this it almost seems cliche on a, on a podcast you know, here we are in a church building to to do this, but it also feels like an, an interesting part of your own story. This uh, uh, moments when you felt a clash sure. of your faith and science. Mm-hmm. Can you talk more about 
maybe even a particular experience of that clash and then how you've uh, integrated faith and science in your life. Yeah, which is an ongoing um, Mm. experience for me, I think. Just finding all of the connections and, you know, where one influences the other. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a vast topic, right. I think. Did you, you know. ever have a crisis? Well, I, I've had a few examples, and I can talk about one of them. Um, a few examples where specifically, you know, for example, I was raised um, in one direction, and then, you know, I learned things that sort of threw that out the window and was like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> what now? So <laughs> I had, you know, I mean, I think one of the sort of most classic examples of people looking at science and uh, and Christianity as at odds um it is something like evolution right yeah. where, where you have um you know the the um sort of traditionalist um christians would, would say well the bible's the bible doesn't talk about evolution you know the, the bible is pretty clear that evolution didn't happen um and, you know and and then there's people on the other side as there is with every issue in the world so um for me i i went i you know i spent some of my schooling homeschooled some of my schooling in a private christian school and some of my schooling at a state-run public school okay. and, and um so at the private christian school i learned that evolution you know was not real um god made the world in seven days flat and uh it's been around for about six thousand years and so this is what i learned and and i went home and told my parents this and and the homeschooling aspect kicked in and they said well you know there's there's christians who do believe in evolution um and and so like there's two sides to the story Mm. and i was like oh and so anyways i told my teacher that and didn't get a very nice reaction but (laughs) nothing against her Uh, she she was very kind about it but definitely panicking (laughs) nowhere to put that yeah what what are you trying to do here (laughs) and so i sort of set it aside didn't think much of it um and then in high school when i when i was at a public school um i had a teacher who happened to be christian and didn't believe in evolution himself so it was quite interesting being at a public school and being told like yeah i have to teach you this but like i don't i think it's all a bunch of garbage (laughs) and so i've had sort of these different perspectives thrown at me um so i had a few a few reasons that i thought evolution didn't make sense going into university and then i went to again a public university and um where i encountered for the first time like genuine um derision from scientists with respect to my faith where they you know would would be like oh yeah like these idiot religious people uh have no respect for science and like they're tearing our society down basically you know in 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 short um i'm really not exaggerating Mm -hmm. um and and so you know i i I went into university and studying science and i had a few objections that were outstanding in my mind about why evolution didn't make sense um and and then one by one they started to get picked apart by the classes i was taking and and so you know one of them got destroy the one of them was oh it's never been used as a uh, prediction um so it's not really a scientific theory because it hasn't been able to predict anything Mm. because it's all looking at retrospective Mm. analysis and so i thought okay that's a fairly compelling argument and then i learned about times where they had predicted you know scientists had predicted uh transition forms of different species and then found the the fossils later that that represented that so oh it is predictive okay so that that you know that objection is gone um and then the final objection that I had was there has, you know, I wasn't aware of any examples in nature where uh, genetic material had been increased. So there's a million examples you see all over the place in the natural world where uh, genetic material is lost um, from one generation to the next. 
but I hadn't seen it increasing. And so I thought, well, we know that, you know, some genomes are larger than others. If everything was coming from a very simple genome, how did we increase it? Oh. So this was my last objection. Literally, I was in my like third year of like wow, a science I love degree. It. You're just chipping away. Didn't buy it. Didn't buy wow. it. And, and then I finally learned about transposons, um, which is a genetic element that okay. um, basically copies itself. And oh. so it's this sort of elegant mechanism to... Uh, quite simply increase genetic material in an organism and, and so i'm just i'm staring at the transposons going like <laughs> and there goes my last objection <laughs> it sounds so methodical yeah was it, it like was. you kind of had these th three things it was I, wow I, I am a scientist at heart you, you know, really I, are <laughs> i just sort of I look at the data i have a gut feeling and some emotion about things <laughs> yeah well, wow it, okay it, no it really was pretty um so when that third thing kind of locked in for you yes where what were you how were you holding your faith well then i you know had a challenge i had to go back and say um how do i reinterpret what i've believed in terms of you know the scriptures uh which i trust more than i do science mm -hmm. and so if science is telling me something's wrong then like you know there's a problem on one side or the other mm -hmm. right um and, and so how do i reconcile this and and I, you know, I was very fortunate to have a friend, um, not immediately, I, I, I didn't get access to this immediately, but in a, a year or two later, a, a friend of mine, um, who is now at Regent, actually, oh. your, your alma mater, um, absolutely brilliant guy. And, uh, you know, probably um, the, the person I trust most in terms of theologically mm -hmm. and um all you know his knowledge base is absolutely incredible mm -hmm. um it's both a career and a passion for him and, and so we talk about a, a lot of different doctrines and and he uh introduced me to rowan williams oh yeah who, from the um, uk yes who did uh an incredible just unbelievable job of explaining genesis one in a way that fit exactly with what i believed oh, from the science yeah and so i i remember watching that lecture and just having like my whole paradigm shift and being like and that's what i was waiting for i <laughs> like, love that there it is <laughs> so and ever since i mean I, i've you know sort of expanded on that or sort of you know slotted it into the different you know structures that i my mind works within mm -hmm. but but yeah it really was kind of i i undermined the problems with evolution until i finally had no problems left mm -hmm. and then once i believed it i thought okay how do i um you know how, how does this reconcile or does it not reconcile mm -hmm. and do i have to make a choice but um you know i i kind of maybe i got lucky in the sense that the bible okay. actually does uh does coincide yeah with, with there's an incredible theory. liveliness but, and expanse to the scriptures is. that it and it's you know it's not like the bible that you held before that is to be disdained True. you know the way that the, or the way that you held it mm -hmm. it it traveled with you as far as you could go and then look at that it could still travel with Turns you out god's bigger than my yeah. preconceptions who knew <laughs> no i and totally even, agree with that even the scriptures yes. almost as metaphor of that mm, you know as yeah. the we can't contain the divine yeah. but this the scriptures that we hold as sacred mm -hmm. and authoritative that it, it could be with you as this you know high school kid yeah. in these settings and it could mean so much to you and not it not move you further than you could go. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm speaking as if it, it's like a creature, you know, with eyeballs or well, something. The word of God is but, living, right? right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. there's uh, just listening to you tell your story in that way and thinking about 
the incredible patience of the spirit to to let us believe what we believe, you know, and then be ready to expand or welcome our expansion, you mm. know, into the infinite, yeah. into the infinite, full stop. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to talk a little bit about where science happens a lot of the time. When I think about a science lab, I think about Mr. Gillespie's science class in grade seven. I think about, you know, learning about hypotheses and experiments and Bunsen burners and dissections. Uh, but I think that's where my imagination sort of stops. It's that was a really great science class. I remember us having a lot of fun and I remember that teacher making learning really exciting, yeah. uh, even for kids who maybe didn't think they were into science. Yeah. But I wonder if you could build on our imagination or our, the picture we carry, maybe many of us, myself at least, around where does science happen? What, how do we sort of picture labs now? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, my, my research is very, um, maybe what you'd think of as kind of a traditional laboratory environment. I, I go in, we have our bench tops and our, you know, PCR machines okay. and, and so forth. And, and so we get our clinical biopsy samples. We, you know, run certain uh, pr procedures on them to, you know, get the specific parts of them that we need. And, and then we run those, you know, in ex specific experiments, it's all fairly, um, contained and you know everything's clean and you know wiping it down with disinfectant okay. and you're wearing your lab coat and stuff but i mean this is not all you know are there any like retina scans or <laughs> <laughs> like it's like in my imagination i have grade seven and then i have like science fiction yeah. like, like scanning your fingerprint or your eyeball <laughs> and like doors opening and closing <laughs> you no know what did. we actually have the closest thing to that at the university of calgary we have a microbiome facility okay. which is essentially looking at the bacteria in your gut right okay um and so of course it's actually for bacteria in the gut of mice in this yeah. case but but nonetheless um y when you go in you have to I, I don't know the exact procedure but i think you you like completely change shower um like put on like sterile um you know whatever you're yeah. wearing and, and you you know go through the door if you want to like take a snack you like degown go shower again put on your outside clothes you know like it's the whole thing uh, it's definitely not that intense <laughs> for my lab <laughs> conveniently but um it, de it depends how, how high the level of biosafety is so okay. there are labs what like what you're yeah there are okay. labs like what you're thinking but that's not the norm okay um, okay yeah. And, but, you know, I, I want to point out too, like this is my particular research because right. I'm, I'm working, you know, with molecular targets, but there's, there's scientists who their lab is like a, a submarine a in the ocean right. or, you know, right. yeah, of course I feel that I did, yeah. I did do some research at an agricultural research station. Ah, and so okay. we'd go out to the fields yeah. and this was our lab. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the world is your oyster, right? That's, the that's the world great. is your lab. I <laughs> love that. I feel like my, my imagination just went, oh, right. Like, Expand, yeah, expand. Yeah, science goes sort of everywhere. And yeah, it so, goes everywhere. You know, it really does. Um, mm. I mean, space, right? The International mm. Space Station, they do all sorts of ex yeah, experiments. Right, that's, right. So that's, that's a lab. A lab. That's yeah. a lab. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> so one of the, I almost am using for my next question, science labs is a bit of a metaphor towards something. But um, when you think about 
science labs, we think about people working together mm. and uh, you have some things to say about collaboration and oh, yeah. multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary studies. And I'm so curious about that. I was going to try to make a joke here and I just really feel like I will bomb it. So I'm just <laughs> going to tell you it. Uh, but Jonathan and I were chatting through these questions. He's going to be so bummed that I didn't deliver this. But <laughs> he had this sports reference in this question. He was oh. like, it's kind of like multi-sport athletes. And he was like, you know, I'm thinking about he threw some out Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, these quarterbacks who also play baseball. Oh, wow. This kind of these worlds right now where you, it used to be that someone only did one thing mm -hmm. and now they do. And, and Jonathan was so sure I should deliver it as if I knew these athletes and he <laughs> thought it was really funny and I am not doing that. <laughs> but um, science labs as this kind of metaphor for collaboration and multidisciplinary interdisciplinary work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why it's really kind of beautiful part of the work that um yeah happens in the science that is everywhere <laughs> it, it is honestly it's, it's one i think one of the most inspirational aspects um what we've seen especially in recent years is these uh consort consortia mm. of um entire clusters of labs working together because there's some projects that are simply too large for anyone to do on their own right and so we actually have to work with other people which is you know <laughs> like the, if you want the results if, if you want, if you want to the figure answer, out the answer yeah yeah it's so put your heads together <laughs> you better, kids <laughs> better set aside your differences <laughs> right what's an example of that large um, a, a large project like well that. i mentioned at the beginning the human genome project mm -hmm. right you know th this was something that it was a three i think it was about a three billion dollar effort um hundreds of laboratories working together extremely laborious process and you know look what came out of it um just i, I don't even know where to begin yeah, a lot came face, out of it your face <laughs> i wish people could see it it's like <laughs> blah, blah, blink blink big eyes <laughs> it's, yeah it's hard to even describe all the impacts but it's changed medicine it's changed um also it's changed genetics i mean that's the obvious one but it's changed medicine um it, it's it's completely changed our understanding of of human genetics and genomics and mm -hmm. opened up um Especially in, I mean, in my field, in the cancer field, we rely on that on a daily basis. On like, a daily basis. Oh, 100%. You, you can't do most of the cancer research these days without having the genome sequence. It just makes me wonder, possible. is it just like a couple friends having beers one night? I'm like, what if we worked together? What if we really got a bunch of, what if we did this around the world? And before yeah. you know it, it's like life changing it is field changing it changes the world in a way you know wow. and, and it's really hard to overstate the significance huh. and it's just getting more and more significant yeah. over time and now you know i just actually got a kit for a christmas present from my mom where i'm going to get my genome sequenced for yeah. the first time and uh so it went from three billion dollars to uh three hundred right. <laughs> over the course of oh, not 20 years i think so. <laughs> and that's the technology that's like digging up criminals that oh yes right? yes I, yeah I, I can i can be relieved that i haven't you know killed anyone right. because otherwise i wouldn't be getting my genome sequence right. <laughs> man those podcasts are wild it's like then yes. they tested this and now they found the killer from 30 years ago it is pretty remarkable but wow. but you know collaboration not mm. just within labs working on the same thing and you know po pooling their efforts but collaboration between multidisciplinary groups yeah so what does that mean exactly so 
well, for example, in, in my research, I'll just use, you know, a personal example. We work very closely with a pathologist. Okay. Um, who, and that's a type of physician who um, diagnoses diseases. We work uh, with an endocrinologist, um, someone who's focusing on hormone and, you know, um, endocrine organs. Um, we work uh, to a certain extent with an endocrine surgeon, a little bit, uh, to a certain extent with a radiologist who does some of the, you know, early diagnostic work on thyroid um, with, you know, ultrasound. And, and uh, we work with, you know, a basic scientist who's someone who's uh, focused on the research itself, you know, less the clinical side, more the, the you know, hard, hard science of it. Um, and then we have, you know, collaborators in various different places. And we work with a molecular pathologist specifically who runs a lab, you know, dedicated to like genetic pathology. Um, and these are all so crucial in even just my own research. Wow. It, it's so necessary to have those different perspectives. Huh. Um, you know, because each person brings something that the rest of the team may or may not have known because you know the the research is so uh sophisticated at at the cutting edge of science you know not just in my lab all over the place that it's impossible it's it's physically impossible no matter how smart you are to to know everything right, right? nobody does so to have people who are these subject matter experts really putting their heads together oh, and saying, yeah. this is the gap here, here's the technology over here that can solve it. The person who saw the gap may not know the technology uh, or vice versa, right? Somebody yeah. knows the technology doesn't know where to apply it. So, so to have these teams bringing in people who, um, you know, have just a really incredible knowledge base and being able to put those heads together, mm -hmm. you really do create synergy, you know, mm -hmm. in its in its most precise form Ooh. of creating something more than the sum of its parts. So this, this is something that I think science prophetic. is prophetic. This feels like a prophetic way of being in the world. Like mm. we have a lot to learn from that kind of collaboration, that kind of trust right. alone. That like I'm trusting you, Paul, to bring your knowledge to the best of your ability right. to the work that we're doing together, like as, as a species beyond, you know, these <laughs> projects, to, that just feels like a really important lesson yeah. to be like, I'm trusting you to bring your best to this what, oh, community, this mm -hmm. family, mm -hmm. uh, this neighborhood. Um, yeah. That feels like a really important human lesson <laughs> yeah i totally agree and, and i think you, you you have to see both sides of it in the mm. sense that those people call each other out right mm -hmm. and oftentimes you know when i'm at a scientific conference people will be like uh yes, fighting it's over a sharp something and, yes that so, makes you sense. know iron sharpen irons to, yeah. uh, uh, sharpens iron type things so, so you have scenarios it's it's not like we always just will defer to someone right. but you know you'll call them but if they show data to back up what their claim right. is fine you know and like, doesn't that us. make us better exactly rather than sort of that feeling of insecurity like exactly. oh i don't like how you're you yeah that you might disagree with me but mm -hmm. actually if i could trust you and listen to you we both be better and in a better place for it but yeah. we're so scared of that correction <laughs> maybe outside of science uh, <laughs> uh but that's that's really fun to hear you talk about and to map out in your own work it's mm -hmm. it really sort of puts some uh, form to those ideas Like yeah. when you're here, what, how do you feel like you're wearing multiple hats or you're like, uh, what's the question I want to ask? 
are you leaning into those interdisciplinary spaces or do you feel like, no, I'm on this little, I'm on like my science lab island <laughs> in the sea of... <laughs> because I think of a hospital so practically. Mm. You're hurt, you need a surgery, you go and do it. Uh, I don't necessarily think about what we just walked past. Right. Like all of these labs, all these people, and all these shelves of science happening yeah. Yeah. in front of them. Yeah, well, I, I think um, sort of where you stand in the interdisciplinary space depends mm -hmm. on you know where you sit. And so I sit in this translational place mm -hmm. where it's word. actually taking um, the, the scientific insights that have been developed by my predecessors yeah. and turning them into a clinically applicable okay. tool. And so for me, it is very intuitive to sort of walk over to the hospital and talk to my collaborators yeah. there who yeah. are working in the clinical setting um, with patients and then walk back and talk to my collaborators yeah. in an adjacent lab that are working in more, more of the basic research setting right. and combine the insights from one and the other and hopefully get something right. that's you know, helpful for people yeah. and, and making the most of the science that we have that's available. That's really, I like that visual because I was just thinking about the buildings of the space. Mm. But to think about you representing your work and as, as you walk through those spaces and kind of carry with you those different perspectives as you pass through them. It's really neat. Yeah, and it's kind of cool because you can actually see the different disciplines being a little bit localized within this complex. Okay. Um, so if I walk across to the Tom Baker Cancer Center, we, we sometimes work with a lab there that is doing um, really, I would say, sort of clinically adjacent, like very, very, very translational work. Okay. Um, or, or I can walk across the courtyard um, to one of the hospital buildings and go in, and into the pathology lab and, okay. you know, pick up clinical samples or things like that. Or, you know, I'll go into the, uh, across the bridge to like uh, one of the buildings that's a university building and they have just sort of more basic research there right. that that is more on the you know pure science yeah. side. So yeah, it's kind of cool to see all the it different really like neat. you know sub localizations yeah. within the complex. Even. Could you do your work without it? Um, I definitely could not do my work without the um, hospital supplying the uh, specimens that I use. Right. Yeah. It's it, just the raw material. It would not be it needs possible. Needs to be from there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Does science add to our search for meaning in life? You know, why does science matter? Why does science matter to you? Well, we live in a complex world, and I think that we have to somehow make sense of it, mm -hmm. right? That, that's a basic human instinct, is to try and make sense of the world we're yeah. in. And, you know, science is, in my opinion, easily one of the very best ways of doing that where it's you know something systematic something where we can learn from other people and add to what they have taught us um, and question what they have taught us and if we can disprove them so much the better right mm -hmm. and you know publish your data and it doesn't have the same conclusion now it's really an interesting problem mm -hmm. so then more people might pile on and try huh. and sort this out together so so i think um science is, is really excellent for you know just a way of 
bringing order to a very chaotic world. Mm. And this is why I love it. I, I love structure and, and sort of um, mapping things out in my head and, and really getting a handle on them. And science is perfect for that, you know, because you, you, take, you take this incredibly complicated cell, for example, if you're just looking at one cell on the human body, unbelievably complex. Mm. And you say, okay, let's figure one thing out. Right. And, and you run an experiment and you find out how it works. You find out, OK, this is how the ribosome adds, you know, different tRNA or whatever <laughs> it may be. Um, and, you know, and, and that's something that then, OK, I now know this. I can build on that. I can rely on that. <laughs> and so it's something that really brings um, um, something that you can stand on <laughs> in a very inherently unstructured inherently chaotic world hmm. where you know especially millennia ago people would see you know some sort of climate pattern and wouldn't have the first idea about what it meant right. because you know they didn't have the bigger picture right. right and and so you know you had even a few mere a few mere centuries right. ago you had things like trade winds being discovered across the atlantic and you know without science people always would have just been like what's what's going on with these winds like <laughs> like wh why am i going faster east than i go west like all the time that doesn't make sense but like you track it you you find the data you realize okay this is becoming this is happening because mm -hmm. of this you know heat moving here and mm -hmm. and you can quantify it really precisely so mm -hmm. so i i don't know if that's i'm not simplifying this very well but but i just think like bringing that order mm -hmm. into a chaotic world maybe i'll you know go back to the, that terminology that that's why I love science. Mm -hmm. So uh, I asked you, why does science matter to you? And why does science matter to the person listening? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess Maybe that depends the on the person. Yeah. But, you know, I think, I think for non-scientists, yeah. um, something to beware of is that, you know, Again, science is not um, is not just a bunch of answers. Right. Science is a bunch of methods for finding answers and then improving on them. Hmm. And I think there was a lot of trust that got lost during the pandemic when people saw the best available evidence being disproven mm -hmm. because we got better evidence. Right. And they thought, oh, this was all a bunch of nonsense. That must have been so annoying for you. <laughs> this is how it people yeah, this is a good thing we want science to self-correct right as we get better and better evidence we want to create oh, i can just imagine how exasperating that must have been somewhat yes i will concede that point <laughs> but carry on but as you know as, as a non-scientist yeah. you have to you have to realize when you're looking from the outside in at scientific mm -hmm. conclusions you know the fact that some of them are going to be proven wrong in the future mm -hmm. first of all is not a good enough reason to just treat them all as useless totally right because it is the best available this is evidence. what we know now maybe it yeah. is wrong right. but nonetheless it's the closest we can come to what's right mm -hmm. based on what we know now and there's somebody out there working to yeah. find a better answer i think right? about so. this a lot that like mm. most people are good <laughs> And are doing good work with their lives. You know, yeah. think about the people you know, the people I know. Like, why do you think that people are out to get you? They're just <laughs> trying to do their job. <laughs> I think about that in journalism. I think yeah. about that in science. These, these 
disciplines right now that we really have relied on so mm, heavily. Yes. And I sometimes scroll to the end of a news story and just look at the person who wrote it. And mm. I just think, yeah, you're a person. Yeah. You just, you just went to work. You wrote an article and you did your best, you know, like most of you, you know, totally. and I thank you for it. Yeah. Kevin, you know, whoever you are, that's my own little benediction of yeah. no, I <laughs> information. Think that's well said. I think that's well said. Uh-huh. Yeah. At the, at the end, any group is ultimately just a collection of individuals. Just a bunch of people trying, trying to do Human beings. good work. We'll all make mistakes. I mean, sure. Some of them are real assholes. But, oh yeah, you know, totally. <laughs> a lot of people are just trying to do a good job. Exactly. <laughs> Find meaning in the work that they do. Yeah. So I want to end with any kind of recommendation you would have to anyone listening to deepen their appreciation or understanding of science and maybe some of the themes that we've talked about. Can you think of books that are pretty accessible, podcasts that might be kind of easy listening for anyone that, yeah, that's or a- even the world of faith and science, you know, mm-hmm. uh, someone that's written some stuff that's been pretty cool or you you found yourself recommending right right um you know i, I would f- i think the first thing i would say is is google bio logos mm. like that organization okay absolutely fantastic work cool. it's not like totally the most public facing organization but but i think that they're really great and you know maybe if you follow them you'll pick up some of their cool. um live streams or cool. different different things bio logos it's just spelled as it sounds yeah bio and logos, and logos yeah. um so that would be the first thing uh you know book recommendations honestly even though c.s lewis wasn't a scientist i i find the way that he came to faith mm. is is very um emblematic of sort of the experience of a lot of scientists mm. and obviously he's very accessible you know yeah. everyone loves c.s lewis so. do you have a favorite c.s lewis book all of them. All of them. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a pretty big oh, fan. I love it. So C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, Biologos. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I have a whole bunch of other um, other references. I, I think that um, something that I've really appreciated in the last year or so is seeing people talk to, you know, um, to the people in their life who are in the medical profession or, oh. or who are scientists and this. you know take take what they say seriously like obviously it, they're not god you know mm-hmm. you, you can't you can't assume that every single thing they ever say any more than you can assume that everything <laughs> i say is is like what? you know the straight truth <laughs> i've been misleading you this whole time oh, <laughs> i love this actually i missed that i had a little note in my notes about like maybe what we all just need is this a friend who's a scientist like maybe scientists need to befriend the world you know if we all had a buddy that we could be like hey i was wondering if you could des- decipher yeah. this information for me yeah you just know just picking and up conversations there i've had friends who have asked me you know i don't know how to read these clinical trial data like can you give some insights and yeah. like this is what i do reading clinical trial data i do that for both work and school yeah. so like you know very versed in it but you know even for me i have there's been times in the pandemic when i'll reach out to one of my friends who's a public health expert or an mm-hmm. epidemiologist and I'll say like I just read this meta-analysis and it doesn't match with you know the CDC guidance like help me out what am I missing here mm-hmm. and you know I've had them um, you know very generously take the time to go and read that and come back to me and be like oh like look at this part you know this is where the gaps are mm-hmm. this is why you can't take this you know 
to the bank, right? Right. Um, and I'm like, oh my word, totally missed it. Uh, you know, I spend my life reading papers. That's and like, super helpful. I still won't get everything. I feel like so. our, our, uh, some self-awareness on our own limitations yeah. could really do us all some good. I need more of that. I need more <laughs> Look, of that. I read a lot of theology, so I can help you with that. But yeah. even then, <laughs> I have a lot of limitations. Yeah. So, uh, that's yeah, really good. Being, you know, being willing to learn. Yeah. Willing to learn is the biggest, single yeah. biggest thing, right? Because totally. if you ever think that you have it all figured out, yeah. you, you don't. <laughs> None right. of us do. We're yeah. human. The we always can still be learning. And that should be the confession. Yeah. That's, yeah. And, and so that's just the reality and it's and it's actually a good thing because how boring would life be if we knew everything right right? it would be absolutely tedious (laughs) (laughs) and on that note (laughs) that's great i love i love this conversation uh thank you for trusting this space and offering your knowledge and your voice and your humor all of it so fun thanks paul Hi, my name is John and I help Bobby make the episodes for Between Sundays. It's interesting to me to reflect on this conversation which was recorded approximately six months ago and where we've gone as a society since then. But I'm not a scientist and those reflections aren't appropriate for a church podcast, so I'll defer to Paul in this case. Between Sundays is a production of Commons Church and the Commons Podcast Network. Bobby Sockled is the host and Jonathan Petkow is the producer. Artwork by Angie Ishak. Special thanks to Paul Stewartson for coming to hang out with us. You can follow us on Instagram at BTW Sundays. Thanks, everyone.